You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. I'm John Benjamin Hickey. You're listening to The Fabulous Invalid. Welcome to The Fabulous Invalid, Broadway's podcast where we present essential conversations with a curated roster of the best, most important, and innovative theater makers working today, from actors to writers, directors, designers, and everyone in between. We took our name from the title of a 1938 play by Kaufman and Hart that has since become a loving nickname for Broadway itself, always deemed on the verge of decline yet always bouncing back, The Fabulous Invalid. I'm theater savant Jamie Dumont. I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with StageLeft.NYC and Stage Left the podcast. And I'm sad clown Jennifer Simard. Oh, <laughs> sad clown. <laughs> that, really, that is sort of my brand, you know? I yeah, so. I mean, there's an argument like to it. be made that it was your brand pre all of this. Um, you think? Yeah. I think so. And now it's just, it's my time to shine. It is your time to shine. <laughs> I love it. Shining in a time of COVID. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, hi, guys. Hi. hi. What's going on? Um, you know, I do know what's going on. We have a very exciting guest today. We have John Benjamin Hickey. Yes. Um, I, I'm so, I, I'm such a fan, and I've heard him speak before, and he's so engaging and charming. I, I really can't wait to to dig in with him. Um, yeah. For those of you that the three people in the world that don't know, he's a Texas native, a Juilliard graduate. He can be seen in over 30 films from my personal favorite, The Anniversary Party, to The Bone Collector, Pitch Perfect, not to mention his appearance on TV's The Good Fight, Sex in the City, and his Emmy-nominated role on The Big C. But we all know and love him for his work in the theater, beginning with Terrence McNally's groundbreaking Love, Valor, Compassion, and including Sam Mendes' Cabaret, Six Degrees of Separation, his Tony Award-winning turn as Felix Turner in Larry Kramer's masterpiece The Normal Heart, and his part as Henry Wilcox in Matthew Lopez's The Inheritance this past season. And John has also ventured out into directing, uh, and uh, he was slated to direct and is still working on the Broadway-bound revival of Neil Simon's 1968 play Plaza Suite, starring Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick. Which you and I were lucky enough to see in Boston. Yes, I know. It's so funny. We saw it in February, and it feels like it was years ago. It was years ago. It was <laughs> a decade ago, um, and we're all a lot older. Yeah, seriously. Mm-hmm. What are you doing to stay sane these days? Well, I'll tell you one thing I'm not doing. Um, the hubs and I are off the sauce. I was really grateful we had some wine to get us through April as we saw those you know, hospitalizations and deaths keep climbing, and I don't regret a second of every glass of wine I had. But <laughs> it did reach the point where Brad and I were like, you know, this can actually be a depressant and... You know, it turns into sugar, which turns into fat stores, and which just, it just kind of makes you feel gross. And so we're like, we just haven't been, and we don't need it anymore. But I, there was a time where I was like, I'm really glad that I have this sort of to calm myself down. I'm not going to lie, you know. But we're not doing that anymore. So that's one thing we're not doing, which feels great. And, um, you know, I'm getting on that bike every day, which I think I've mentioned before. My, my, my stationary bike is my... Other than my husband, it's my best friend. You know, you love that bike. When I asked you what kind of a bike it was, 
you mm-hmm. said Schwinn. And I thought you were kidding, and I left uh-huh. it alone. I was like, oh, God, she's so funny. Who would have a stationary Schwinn bike? And then I saw a photo of it on Instagram or somewhere. Yeah. It is quite literally a sh- gorgeous Schwinn stationary bike. Yeah, I'll be honest. I'm dying for a Peloton bike. I actually want to make that gift to myself. Um, but I also, as someone who's not working and as someone who's raised from a, a father who was raised in the Depression, I don't want to spend money that I just because I want it when mm. I had a bike in storage. Jennifer, I think you should yeah. treat yourself to a Peloton bike. I, I, I think you. I think you. I think it's crazy not to. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. Will you? Will you pay for it? Yeah. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. Will I John will. Benjamin Hickey buy me one? Right. Exactly. Let's see how. Let's see how today goes. So, Rob, what are you doing? Well, with it's your, funny your that, downtime. Yeah, this has sort of unintentionally become a commercial for Peloton um, because in the past couple of weeks, um, you know, I, I as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, I'm a big yoga person, but um, and I'm still doing my yoga at home. But you know, I used to do hot yoga, which really got me, you know, get me going. Um, so I've started to supplement my yoga classes with. Um, Peloton like workout classes. They have a, a great app. It's not just for doing stationary bike riding. They have all sorts of exercise classes you can take. So, and the first month is free. So, I'm enjoying my my free month of exercise classes, and that's been like the newest great thing I've done for myself during this uh, during this time. So Agreed. You're doing I do the Pel- arm, upper body stuff on Peloton. They have great upper body weight training as one yeah. of them. Yeah, and I'm. I look forward to um, the. I'm going to invest in the monthly plan starting next month. It's worth. Yeah. It. yeah, yeah, totally. Today's episode of the Fabulous Invalid is brought to you by Peloton. Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Peloton. <laughs> Jamie, what what's what are what's you doing? The, what's new in your neck of the woods? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, that can't be true. Come on. It, it, well, I mean, there are new things, but I, I'll say this. I have absolutely little ability to consume new media, new books, new anything. Yeah. I find great comfort in revisiting. I'm rereading. I'm currently rereading Ken Mendelbaum's book, Not Since Carrie, which I read before. I'm watching television shows you know, from the beginning that I hadn't seen in a very long time. I'm revisiting old films. But if I start, I watched it for the first time in a while because I, I know I, I just can't consume new stuff for whatever reason. Yeah. I watched a film on Saturday, that a new movie that was on the in-demand. It took me four hours to watch this film. I kept stopping it and getting distracted. I just, I don't have any capacity for new stuff right now. I don't know what that means, but. That's why you like Moo, because I'm old stuff. (laughs) (laughs) When we had um, Helen Shaw on the show, you know, who's a critic who sees, you know, seven shows a week, um, we talked a little bit about sort of like story burnout, how like your, sometimes your brain can just, it can't consume a new story. You and 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 I, I can imagine this is a moment where a lot of people are experiencing that. I, I've I've had a similar uh, experience. I haven't really been watching a lot of new stuff. Um, I've been sort of going back to things, so I can relate. Okay, well, let's get to our interview with John Benjamin Hickey. So, John, thank you for joining us today. We're so excited. Um, I think to kick things off, just how are you doing? How is week nine of the quarantine for you? Yeah, uh, week nine is um, you know very much the same as week eight was. Uh, <laughs> I came a little late to the party um, because I had talked about this before. Um, just to launch in, uh, the day um, I tested positive uh for covid was the same day they closed broadway down and it was also the night of the invited dress of my broadway directorial debut so it wasn't one of my best days but we can get into that later but the the week nine for me is probably only like what week six um because i got really sick for uh, a solid three weeks and was on my own in my apartment my partner was flying in the day I tested and our, our doctors very smartly said, yeah, this, you may, you have it, you may not have it, but just you should, he should not see you. So I didn't see him. Thank goodness. But I spent three weeks really sick, uh, and then got better, um, slowly. 
So I feel like every, just as I was getting well and getting out of town and feeling good again was right about the point that everybody else was losing their fucking minds. <laughs> all, of, all of my friends. So I didn't really know what they were talking about, all the stir craziness and everything. But then I caught up very, very quickly. The better I felt, the crazier I started feeling. So I guess that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're glad that you're that you're feeling so much better now. Yeah. And, uh, sorry that you had to to go through that. I, I've heard it's just you know awful. It was it was really horrible. Yeah. Um, but you know I, I, the one thing, and and I talked to several friends while I was at my sickest who who said I seemed slightly delirious. And I guess when I think back, I I do not remember a whole lot. Um, mm. But I do remember being the only thing I really was clear about was I am not so sick that I need to get to a hospital or an ER. Mm. And, and that was just when those stories were starting to happen. We didn't, it was right at the beginning of the real madness. So I didn't have Danny Burstein's harrowing account of what he went through. And of course, you know, Nick and, and I, I, but I knew, even though I didn't have a reference point, I kind of knew somewhere I was okay because I didn't, feel like I needed to get to the doctors immediately. So that was, um, that was that, that in retrospect, especially I'm like, Oh man, I'm glad I had that clarity, you know? So now that you are on the other side of, um, you know, the illness and you're just like the rest of us and, you know, just sort of hold up and bored. Um, how are you keeping busy or sane for lack of a better word? Um, I am watching, uh, a whole, I'm catching up on a whole lot of television uh, that friends of mine shows that friends of mine are in, you know, like one yeah. of my best friends is John Slattery and I'm finally <laughs> watching Mad Men. I'm catching <laughs> up on the last two seasons. I'm, uh, I, 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 I discovering shows that I probably, of course I would have been in previews and opening a play. So I wouldn't have been able to see any of this stuff. Uh, watching a lot of great TV. I, 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 I spent, the entire sickness watching the show that I'm sure you guys have heard about called Babylon Berlin. Oh, I'm obsessed. It, it's, it's the craziest, greatest thing I've ever seen. Oh my God. Two yeah. people, we call them the uh, dinky detective and the fearless Fräulein yeah. um, were my best friends during it. And <laughs> I, I, once I got well, I met up with my partner and I made him watch the whole thing and I watched it over again. Yeah. So I'm, I'm binging a lot of stuff like most people are doing. I'm, trying my best to catch up on some reading. Uh, I, I find myself a little restless, you know, when it comes to reading right now. And I'm usually a really good and patient uh, reader. Uh, and I'm also like realizing that I'm not nearly as bad a cook as I've always thought I was. <laughs> uh, have been. As long as I have Melissa Clark and all those one pot wonder recipes from the New York Times cooking, I, I feel very uh, creative. So listen, I mean, I guess the answer to your question is, is I'm boring. I'm not really doing anything <laughs> terribly creative. I'm very happy to say that where I live in Long Island is not far from, uh, the stars of Plaza Street, Matthew and Sarah Jessica, and we're getting together and going through the play every now and then, uh, Terrific. at this point, just for the sake of, of just, keeping a little saying about yeah. it all. I don't yeah. think any of us are doing it saying, oh, we have to remember our lines because we may be up and running really soon. You know, it's just a chance to kind of like remember what a great time we were having before it all went so crazy, you know? We do know. Yeah. Um, Jennifer, were you doing something? I feel like... I was. I was in the revival of Company. Of course I'm you were. Playing the role of Sarah and... Uh, yes, having- I know this because A, I'm a big, very big fan but B, Likewise. Uh, so is Patty Lapone, and Patty is my partner Jeff Richmond's best friend of like forty-five years. Oh I mean, they were gosh. they were in this living in the same house when she got Evita. So there, she's like a sister-in-law to me, Patty. Aww. And she, so I went through her closing, or you know, premature uh, with her, and she spoke so highly of you, and I was so looking forward to seeing you in that, and I am sure I will be able to. I'm I'm sure as well, and I think as highly of her, which is so lovely, and and of you. So thanks for saying that. You bet. It's really kind. 
Well, as we've alluded to, before the shutdown, you were about to start previews for uh, Plaza Suite on Broadway. And uh, Jamie and I were actually lucky enough um, to catch the show up in Boston at the Colonial uh, oh, back, in, back in February. And uh, of course, you know, the world will get to see it next year uh, at the Hudson Theater on Broadway. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a Neil Simon play from 1968, uh, three acts, which is very rare this day, these days. Um, and, you know, we were very struck by the really warm and, and enthusiastic response that, 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 the, that the show got from the audience, yeah. uh, which w- to me, to us, really proves that Neil Simon's brand of humor still resonates today. And, you know, perhaps when we emerge from this more than ever. Right. Um, so I, I'm wondering, what has it been like to step into the world of Neil Simon with this play? Yeah, it, it, um, it just felt so right uh, from the very um, nascent uh, beginnings, the, the 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 time we got together at uh, Symphony Space and and did a reading of it, I just had asked those guys, you know, Sarah, Jessica, and Matthew, would you like to do something? And they're like, yeah, we'd love to 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 do a reading, just a reading of something. We have haven't worked together in twenty five years. Why not? <laughs> so we poked around and we landed on this play. And we were all so struck by just how wonderful the play was and how much truth there was in it. And yes, of course, there were things in it that wouldn't be written about now, you know. And there were, you know, elky summer jokes that we were like, hmm, I wonder how that's going to play right now. Yeah. Uh, but what was essential about it was uh, this, this very uh, kind of deep and deeply funny portrait of relationships and marriage and a long-term marriage that might or might not be coming to an end and the very beginning of a relationship and then having to say goodbye to your children once they leave the nest. And it, of course, resonated with the Brodericks in this huge way because of the, you know, meta-ness of it. Um, so I guess the answer to your question is it, it really didn't feel so much like, oh, we're rediscovering or trying to reintroduce uh, Neil, the great Neil Simon. It's like, we just found this wonderful play this play that that is that still seemed like it had so many timely truths in it, um, and uh, and then once we started rehearsing, they just started having the time of their lives. And I mean, I hope you guys felt that as palpably as as, as I did. And the audience is like one of the reasons it working so well is because they're they're clearly enjoying each other on stage. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that's maybe not always the case. I mean, you know, <laughs> we were all scared, like, oh, boy, is this going to, especially, you know, me who was kind of running the thing, like, oh, am I going to, is this friendship going to last? Is this marriage going to last? <laughs> but uh, it turned out to be a real um, incredible labor of love on so many levels. And that felt very manifest on stage and very uh, palpable in the audience. You know, I... I didn't realize that um, I knew that he was a you know huge Broadway star, um, a huge star and a draw. Of course, I knew that she was too. I frankly, I kind of underestimated the audience's desire and just joy at seeing them together. That's fabulous. I can't wait to see it. It's <laughs> a lot of fun. I was telling the guys when I was 16, I was in one of those community theater productions where they divide it up so everyone has a part. And I was Muriel at 16, because that's appropriate. Oh, um, <laughs> but So I can't wait to see this. Um, and I also am a New Englander. And as a New Englander, I know and I love the Colonial Theater. It's, it's also where the original production of Plaza Suite tried out. Yeah. So how was it working there? And did you see any of the ghosts? Go. Uh, yeah, we felt the ghosts very, uh, very palpably. Um you know, there. I always feel like when theaters get renovated, either the ghosts decide to stay or they decide to leave. <laughs> I think they all decide to leave when you name your theater something corporate. And that's no <laughs> I, I adore the American Airlines Theater, but you know, really, it's like couldn't it have just been named the, you know, Carol Channing Theater or something? Um, but. 
the Emerson Colonial, which has had this huge renovation, what was it, like five, ten years ago, still feels so haunted and so rich in history. And um, and my God, it is – I mean, I've been to a lot of theaters uh, across the country and uh, in Europe, and I, I don't think I've ever seen – and been in a more beautiful theater. And Sarah, Jessica, and Matthew, and our you know crack team of designers, John Lee Beatty, Jane Greenwood, Brian McDevitt, Scott Lehrer, Mark Shaman, all felt the same way. They just felt like this is the most beautiful theater we've ever been in. And, and then it was this essentially two-person play, no disrespect to the other great actors who were in the play, but it's essentially those two people on stage together for the bulk of the play. And that's like, what, a 16, 1700 seat house. Mm. And it played like gangbusters there. So it's a, it's an incredibly intimate space, that space. And um, I was so excited to get to bring it to the Hudson because the Hudson has that same kind of vibe. The Hudson is a beautiful renovation as well. Have, have you guys spent much time in that theater? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and cool. I agree. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I think it's going to sit beautifully in the Hudson and and I can't wait to to be able to see it on Broadway because I think going back to your earlier point about just the 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 two of them together and the audience reaction to to them playing opposite of each other. I feel like we're going to need that level of comfort and I don't want to uh, almost nostalgic factor when when the theater returns I think there's going to be something really delicious in being able to watch these two masters of their craft working together and all those added layers on top of the fact that they're married and the play is about couples and yeah. I, I really think it's gonna it's gonna play beautifully and you know what else too that I I, I love about them and I feel like there's this is part of the kind of rich tapestry of their association with the play is the play is about New York. It's about this aspirational place, the Plaza Hotel, where these middle-class couples go to have their dream New York experience. God knows we're going to be wanting that again yeah, as New absolutely. Yorkers and as theater goers. But I also believe that Sarah, Jessica, and Matthew are truly great New Yorkers They've been good for the, our city, yeah. and, uh, in in every in every aspect of their career, and I think that kind of wonderfully resonates too. But man, I I agree with you so much. I believe that when we come back, um, it's going to be like the Roaring Twenties. I think everything's going to feel like an acid trip. <laughs> and the colors are going to be so. It's like we're all going to be on MDMA, you know, <laughs> we're going to be so vivid and vibrant and we're going to be so welcoming. I, I hope we, Jennifer, I hope we're going up at the exact same time. I do too. I was just talking to my husband about that last night of, they were already going nuts during the opening number. I can't imagine what it will be like when we come out and when Katrina sings being alive, I oh. couldn't even say the words last night without starting to cry. Of course. Of course. So, I've never good seen luck, everyone. <laughs> another hundred people. I mean, mm-hmm. there's not a song in that show. It's interesting mm-hmm. because uh, company and, um, and Plaza suite are basically from the same company. Right. What? 71? 70. Uh, 70. 70. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Plaza suite was 67, 68. Mm-hmm. So it's that same period of time where New York was becoming kind of like sexy in a new way, mm-hmm. in, a, in a kind of chrome and, you know, metallic and mirrored kind of way. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great period of time to celebrate. And I love mm-hmm. that production. I got to see it in London because I was doing The Inheritance at the same time. And it's just a really revelatory production. And I can't wait to see you guys do it. I well, I'll see you around campus, and guess what? I'm going to hug you. How about that? <laughs> oh, my God. That I cannot wait. And there's a lot of hugging that goes on in our plays, too. Like, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, that's one thing. We're, we're not going to be able to socially distance on the stage. They'll, no. They'll, they'll figure that out. Smarter yeah. people than I will figure that out. <laughs> we just need a vaccine, and then we can all touch each other as much as we want. Yes, absolutely, which is what we like to do anyway. I mean, yeah, yeah, we're not meant to. We're not meant to be doing what we're doing right now. We're not meant to isolate. That's not a human yeah, nature. Totally. There was a great. Was it in the New Yorker? There was a great cartoon when they right after they closed Broadway down, 
was a man and a woman in an apartment and he was reading the paper and he said, they closed Broadway theaters. Where am I supposed to go to cough? (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. I mean, at the best of times, you know, theaters are a petri dish. So (laughs) we'll figure it out. That's for sure. Oh, that's funny. Well, you mentioned uh, the Broadway of the 70s and the the glittering era that it was. And that made me think of um, Broadway in the 90s. And it made me think of uh, you starring as Clifford Bradshaw in the Sam Mendes roundabout revival of Cabaret, which was a huge sensation at the time. And it, it felt like it that production shaped a whole decade of theater that came after it. Um, so I'm wondering, what was it like stepping into that iconic show and how it was received in such a revolutionary new take? Yeah, it was... Uh, well, for me, uh, I mean, you guys have probably a, a, you know, a lot of experience in musicals. Jennifer, I know you do. I had, I mean, how lucky am I? I don't really sing. I got to be in one Broadway musical... It was Cabaret, and it was the biggest hit. It, it, there was, I remember there, that was that year of, oh, my God, Lion King, um, Ragtime. And, and there was a thing in the post, like, how many times has Rosie O'Donnell mentioned these Broadway shows? And Cabaret was, like, in the lead. Um, because, you know, for the, the first six months of its run, it was in the Henry Miller's Theater, which is now the Stephen Sondheim Theater. Two good names for theaters, by the way. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and you know, there were only like 500 seats in that theater and, and you couldn't, people were hanging off the rafters tr- trying to get into it. Uh, so it was, um, it was a seminal experience in my life in that it was just changed everything. I think it changed that entire cast. It really opened a Pandora's box and we all as sexy and as much of a party as it felt like on stage, baby, it didn't have nothing on what we were doing after. We just had the best time, and and you know, I uh, my best I met my best friend in that, who was Natasha Richardson, and mm. it was such a golden experience in my life, and I learned so much from her and from Alan, and then Jennifer Jason Lee replaced Natasha, who was a completely different kind of creature, and that was a glorious experience too. Uh, I saw her do it. Yeah, she was amazing. She, she was magnificent. Yeah, because so, so, and completely different. You know, it was really interesting. Never really talked about this, but one of the things that made the Natasha first leg of the run so um, extraordinary, aside from her just astonishing performance, was she had the last curtain call. After she left, Alan had the last curtain call, and nobody ever questioned that because Alan it was such a star making performance but between Alan and Natasha there was a very they loved each other but there was a very healthy and electric sense of competition as to who the star of that show was and if you know that show you know Sally Bowles is really not that big of a part it's 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 kind of was always designed to be uh what's her name Fraulein Schneider's show because it was written for La Telenia and but it, it, so there, it became this real competitive kind of like, all right, you just did that. And the audience just went that crazy. Watch this. So it had this electricity that I've never experienced, you know, before or since. 
because fucking plays are boring, man. No, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> um, it's just a musical. It's like you guys all know. It's just different. There's so many more fucking people. And then when you're doing one for a long time, which I did, you go on stage one night and you look at the person who's playing, you know, Bobby, and you're like, who the fuck are you? I've never seen you before in my life because it's like, you know, there's a, an understudy and a cover and a swing and a swing. and a, So I learned all of those lessons about how, what a what a glorious ant farm a Broadway musical production is, and you know all of these uh, things in the col- ants in the colony. Yeah, <laughs> I love that notion of it being an, like an ant farm. That's yeah. a perfect image. Yeah, it's very we're right we're digging our dirt and you know right on top of each other and oh my god that was fun and what a what a show what a score you know. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, jumping forward into, uh, I guess, this century, I've told this story before, and I'll, I'll share it here real briefly. Um, but I saw the 2011 revival of The Normal Heart Mm. Um, for the first time uh, on Broadway. And I was so completely blown away uh, by just the, the sheer force of, of that play that at the end, I, I literally couldn't get out of my seat. Um, a, an, an usher had to like come yeah. shoo me and be like, okay, get out of the theater. <laughs> you know, we're closing up. I have to get home. Um, and you, of course, you know, won a Tony Award for your portrayal of Felix Turner. Um, and I, I've I've often thought about in the years since I've seen that play, you know, I had that incredible physical reaction to mm-hmm. seeing it. Um, what it must have been like for you and all of your colleagues on stage performing it night mm-hmm. after night. Um, so I was wondering if you could share a little bit about the experience of uh, performing in this play and and what it meant to you personally to get to do such a trailblazing yeah. play on Broadway. It was something else. You know, I, I, I realized as you're asking me this, I hadn't really thought about the normal hardens. Like it, you really count yourself very lucky when every show you mention, you're like, oh, no, no, that was my favorite experience at the <laughs> theater. We, you know, we should all feel that way, you know, and, and I don't know how you guys feel, but like I'm more, uh, I feel more affection and, and more love and have even stronger memories of the things I've been in that didn't fly. You know, and I do the things, the things that are, are glorious hit experiences like cabaret and the normal heart tend to, you tend to remember them as a blur, but flops, oh man, you remember every single detail, um, in a good way. Uh, that normal heart was, um, was really, uh, talk about a a trip. You know, we were only supposed, we only rehearsed for eight or nine days it was supposed to have been like a concert, like a, I guess a little bit like a vagina monologues thing, you know, like Mm -hmm. we were going to have music stands and scripts and it was really only going to be a, an engagement like that. And then like people could leave. And then three weeks later, another cast would come in and take it over. It was just basically a celebration of Larry and not meant to scale up to a, full production, which it became, even though it was very spare. Um, so we only had 10 days of rehearsal. We only had three days of tech. 
Wow. Before we were in front of an audience. And I remember walking home with Joe Mantello. We lived in the same neighborhood from 890 every day. And he'd be like, well, you know, I mean, maybe you guys are learning your lines and, and putting your scripts down, but I, I'm going to hold my script. I'm going to have my script. I hope George Wolf realizes that I'm not going to learn these lines. But, <laughs> it, it, you know, of course, Joe learned his lines because <laughs> there was something about the, uh, what's the word, just the power of that play what it did to an audience, what it does to an audience did the exact same thing to us. We realized it was so much bigger than our fears and anxieties about the fact that we only had a short rehearsal time and we just had to be, allow ourselves to be completely shot out of the canon. And then, you know, I don't think any of us were aware of the fact that the time for some reason the time just seemed really right to do that play again. Where we were as New Yorkers, where we had come from, where we were as gay men, where we were as people who had lived through the crisis. Um, you know, it just was like, oh, we can look at this now and we can, we can unlock a, a, a grief that has been has been locked up deep inside for a long time. That was the experience for a lot of people. I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone, but you could certainly, the thing you're describing, you could certainly feel that in the audience every mm. night. As soon as the shit really started to hit the fan yeah. and play, and it comes around the time that Lee Pace brilliantly, his character has the, oh, I can't even talk about it without crying, speech where he talks about taking his lover home on the plane Yes. And yeah, yeah. And oh, yeah. so harrowing and horrible. And you could hear like at least once or twice a week, you could hear people not be like certain people not be able to contain their grief, their crime. You know, like it was like you could tell that they didn't want to be sounding that way, but they were sounding that way. Yeah. Um, and it was just this shared, extraordinary experience. And Weirdly enough, it was the most fun I've ever had doing anything. It's a really fun play. It's really funny. And we and it's so horrible what happens in that play that we all just drank so much. By the end of the run, <laughs> they would have the stage managers would have they would just make a drink like shots for us. We'd just walk <laughs> off stage and have like a new shot of something every night. So, and, and we had a, you know, terrible gallows humor backstage, you know, when you're <laughs> doing something like that, you have to have as much lightness to kind of balance out all the darkness you're experiencing. So, um, it was, it was an absolute, uh, joy to get to work on that play. And, I'm sorry to gas on about it, but the, the other thing that's extraordinary about that play is that it's, of course, it's about what it's about, the beginning of the AIDS crisis in New York, but bigger than that is the Cassandra cry that it is. It's about a person who feels disenfranchised and, and, you know, there's not a young person in this country who, who, uh, you know, who has a bright mind who probably doesn't feel that way. And a lot of people who feel that way right now. So that play, I think, will speak to generations because, you know, the facts of the play are the AIDS crisis, but the, the humanity of it is somebody who says, I'm not going to not be heard. I'm going to stand up on the tallest rock I can find, and I'm going to scream bloody murder until my government hears me until my fellow citizens hear me and that is universal that will go on for you know time immemorial i think mm. back in march we lost terence mcnally due mm. to complications of covid 19. your first broadway show was his landmark play love valor compassion a role you recreated on film do you have any reflections on working with him or his life and legacy that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was his incredible, um, his incredible warmth. And by warmth, I mean, he was, uh, he was always just wide open. I mean, he was, he was a, he was a sharp, you know, uh, uh, funny, brilliant, edgy, he wasn't like a, you know, like a, like just a sweet thing. I mean, he was a complicated man, a very complicated man, and he could be very intimidating, but he was 
um, open to the possibility of every experience, of every moment. So you never felt like he was resting on any kind of laurel or or accolade or and I've never met anybody like that before or since. And it was made most manifest to me, not when we were doing Love Valor, because I was so you know scared and such a kid and I couldn't believe I'd stepped in such a wonderful shit, you know, <laughs> in this play that never in a million years did I we think that would go to Broadway and it had that wonderful success. Um, but I did, you know, the love valor of this generation, you could say, is is the inheritance, because I think Matthew's writing is so uh, similar to Terence's. And he, he, he says that, too. Terence is his spiritual godfather in, in many, many respects. And, and Terence, because Tom Curtihy produced it, Terence's husband, Terence was around for every opening we had and saw it many times. And he was so excited by this play. And so in love with what Matthew was trying to say, with no cynicism and with and with no what's that word? He was never imperious about it. You know, he never seemed royal, and he, he is. He was royalty. And so, what a that to me is like the the the, the biggest thing gift from him is like, boy, I'd like to I'd like to try my best to be like that as much as I can. You know, because he. Uh, he brought such uh, open-hearted enthusiasm to what ev- whatever anybody was doing, and th- that's very much in that play, isn't it? That Love Valor has got the hugest heart of any play I've ever done. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, you know, Jamie and I had the opportunity to sit down with Matthew Lopez, um, you know, right before the the, the play closed in March, um, mm-hmm. and he talked about Terrence and you know the 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 profound, you know, impact he had on him as a mentor. Um, and it, it clearly shows, you know, in the, in the, the, the play and, you know, just the, as you said, the sort of the, the spirit of it all. Terrence Um, will continue to, you know, Terrence will continue to guide Matthew because, uh, you know, Broadway wasn't as kind to the inheritance as the West end was. And that's all very complicated, but I think, you know, Terrence, one of the gifts Terrence gives people like as brilliant as Matthew is like, just keep working, just keep working. I mean, you know, you, we all know Terrence's history. What his first play got like, I, the Terrence had a great quote about it. It got the re- kinds of reviews that just would make a person, you know, never want to leave the house again. <laughs> and he was, just, he's just, just a great example of he just kept working. It's, it's all about keeping moving forward, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, we 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 talked to Matthew a little bit about that, and you know what it's like to um, bring a, a piece to to Broadway, and then you know have the the reaction that that the play received. But you know, I, I will say, Jamie and I both completely adored the inheritance, and I'm sure if Jennifer wasn't working and had the opportunity to see it, she would have too. Um, I'm curious. You've you've talked before uh, about your character Henry Wilcox. Um, mm-hmm who is a, a gay Republican billionaire. Um, and you mm. said that it was a really terrific challenge to humanize uh, a gay Republican billionaire yeah. on stage. So I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more about that and what it's like, you know, stepping into the shoes of such a complicated character. Yeah. Um, I know just having watched succession, it reminded me so much of Henry's world. <laughs> um, oh yeah. You know, I, 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 the billionaire part, the gay part I understood the billionaire part I didn't understand. The Republican part I really didn't. Understand. <laughs> um, I, I understood the billionaire. Matter of degrees, yeah. Even more than I did the Republican part. Uh, I just thought that you know the key to Henry was the uh, repression. You know that he had, and my partner, who's uh, ten years older than I am, and really, really lived through the the plague and. Uh, and lost so many of his friends. And when he, when he would talk about that time, he would say, you know, it was, it was interesting. There were people who couldn't show up, who didn't show up, who couldn't show up. And, and they were lovers who abandoned their lovers or just friends who just chose their, you know, he said, because that was the thing is like, not only were we dealing with this calamity, we were all in our 20s trying to figure out how to build our career in Los Angeles and in New York. He's a television writer. And so he's like, so we were trying to do both things. So, you know, you would, 
you would go home to take care of your friend, but you would try to get somebody to take the shift so you could go in and pitch your script before you went over to nurse somebody to their death. A crazy, you know, experience for a young mm. person to go through. Um, and he said, you know, you would, you'd see these people who weren't able to do it, who weren't able to show up through the years. And you forgave them, of course, because why not? But you would never forget. Like that was a, and that was Henry. You know, Henry couldn't do it. He couldn't, he couldn't deal with what was happening. He did not have the emotional uh, strength. So what did he do? He went out and became the strongest master of the universe, you know, and, uh, and, and turns out he deeply, deeply, deeply regrets the, the decision he made and the choices he made. And so that I loved about him. I loved getting to play somebody that heartbroken who seemingly has the world on a string, you know, but is really the, is really the, the weakest and saddest person in the room. So it was always, you know, that the other stuff I couldn't really, I couldn't really uh, relate to. I had to, I made them give me spanks, not because I'm, I, I mean, God knows I had a belly, but I was like, you know, spanks, like a girdle makes you stand up straighter and billionaires <laughs> stand up straight. So all the, all the stuff that made him seem powerful <laughs> physically, I achieved through uh, man spanks. I, that's a, should be a great lesson to anybody. That might be the title of this episode, Man Spanks. Man Spanks. I love them. I love them. They really are. A, a, a Especially weapon. with the 10 pounds everyone's gaining at home right oh now. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> 10? Oh, lucky. Like, well. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, he was, he was a really rich, complicated character. And then, of course, you know, there's the book um, of Howard's End that I had, had loved my whole adult life and 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 the movie, the the mm. Richard Ivory movie. I mean, Anthony Hopkins' performance. Oh mm. God, yeah. That, talk about like whenever I was in doubt as to how, what to do, I just go back and watch the movie. It's like, okay, I'm going to try to do that. <laughs> that film is a nearly perfect film. I, there's, I there's agree with you more. No question. And, and I would say that the Inheritance is a nearly perfect play. Um, Rob Rob was not. Uh, mistaken when he said that we both adored that play and uh, and and I was you know obviously very moved by it I, I don't know how you could sit through it and not feel a lot of things I, I particularly the moment where Henry shouts there are no gay men left my age really resonated with me and his and also his you touched on this earlier his his like gnawing survivor's guilt that just ate at, yeah. he, it ate him from the inside out, it, which is maybe why he needed Spanx to stand up straight. I'm not really <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't really have a question here other than I just feel like it's such an important – there were so many important things that Matthew talks about in that play. But mm. that in particular is, I think, something that gets glossed over when we look back at the history of, of, of the AIDS crisis. And I think people forget that there's a whole generation of people who didn't get to make art – yeah. and live in this world and have families and all of that stuff. Yeah. It just was wiped out. And it's yeah. staggering when you think about it. And it's so beautifully presented throughout this entire two-part play. Yeah, yeah. It really was, uh, you know, never – talk about like one, one of a kind experiences. The first time we ran through that play at the, uh, at the, at the Young Vic in a rehearsal – studio and we just had to do it we started at 10 a.m and it was like 10 hours long then and we were just we just looked at each other afterwards and vanessa redgrave had brought champagne for everybody thank god we just sat there staring at each other like what the hell did we just do and um i i i love that thing you say about about that generation of people um who were decimated and who didn't have the chance to do so many things and you know one of the things that happens to Henry in that play is he looks at the younger generation and he realizes, oh, when I was their age, I didn't have anybody like me because they were all dying. Like, you know, there's a whole young old thing going on in that play that my generation didn't have because we we were, we, we the, 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 the people 10, 15 years older than I was were the people who were really being destroyed by it. And so we were afraid of them for lack of a more delicate and 
you know, better way of putting it. There was a fear attached to that generation for the rest of us. And, and I think there's such great, um, he meditates on that so beautifully uh, in that play, the generational thing and how a generation was lost. I'm actually speechless right now. It's so hard to form words when you think about when you think about it. It's it's um, it's it's tragic. Yeah, it really it really is. It really is like you really realize. Like, I mean, Jeff again, my partner. When he would see the inheritance, he would he would say like, "It's you know, it's a really crazy thing for me to be able to sit here." and watch this play. And I'm overwhelmed with the fact that 35, 40 years later, I'm like, why am I the one sitting in the theater as a survivor getting to have this experience when so many, like so many of my friends have been gone for so long now and I get to do this. It's, 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 it really is something. And it was a, it was a great time for that play. I I think that, that, that it was again, one of those, perfect periods of time to, to have a play like that. I was oh, happy I, to be part of it. I agree. And I think, you know, it also, you make me think about what, when we were talking about the normal heart and, and the audience reaction to that. And I, I, I think with that, having 25 years of time between the, the first time the normal heart was done and when it was done in 2011, I think that really helped that, that air of time yeah. helped audiences receive that play in a totally different way mm-hmm. and receive it in a way of looking back historically on what had happened and where we've come and being able to enjoy the play and be devastated by the play yeah. in yeah. a totally different way. Yeah, completely. And, 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 and to realize, oh my God, that anger is still there. Yes, it's still it's still inside of me, and it 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 burns. That play burns. That play has great fire in it, as does Larry. I yes. I, I agree, and that anger is necessary, absolutely yes. necessary. You can't let that anger go. I heard um, Cleve Jones speak, um, and he was talking about activism, and he said that activism doesn't happen online. Any of you young people that think that you're being an activist by clicking a link, you're fooling yourselves. What you have to do is make noise. That's how change happens. Yeah. And I think that's it's all kind of part and parcel for the same thing. There's, there's, a, there's an anger, there's an energy that you need to do to, to move forward and yeah. to be heard. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It'll be so interesting to see, you know, this huge global shift that this has caused, Um, you know, in many ways as big as the, I don't, I can't compare the epidemics because I'm not smart enough to, but like the fact that it was global overnight, like that overnight we were all the same. We were all exactly the same. Right. Um, I, I just it'll, it, it will be so interesting to see how this what this does to our political future. I, I, I don't know. It's yeah. both scary and makes me hope for something different. You know, I keep saying that it's uh, you know because I'm I'm in my early 30s. I feel like it's going to radicalize my generation. If you oh. didn't support universal health care before, forget about it. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> Honey, how do you how do you live through the last year and yeah. not and not emerge from it a I socialist? Will, I, you know? I'm so happy to hear you say that and, and <laughs> your lips to yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Rob. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm in my early 20s and I feel the exact same way. <laughs> Good, yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well. John, you have been so generous with your time. I cannot believe that nearly 45 plus minutes have gone by and we haven't talked about Laura Linney. So <laughs> we're so we may have to do that another time. Wow, um, I love my favorite subject. Uh, yeah, she, she she's my favorite subject too. Funny. Somebody um, introduced her once at an awards thing or something that I was at. It was the best introduction ever. They said Laura Linney a noun we can all agree upon. <laughs> it's like, that's the best way to describe war. Talk about someone at the very peak of their powers right now. Mm. My God, her work in that play this season and her work on Ozark, it's just crazy. It's like, 
oh, you could get better. You were already so great. I, I honestly think that that Ozark is the finest work she's done. And we're talking about someone, as you well know, and anyone listening knows, that literally everything she does is perfection, right? She's pretty, she's pretty damn great. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. And then, and and we have one final question before we let you go. But I also can't, I can't also sit here for forty five minutes and not mention that last night I had the great pleasure of rewatching one of my favorite films, a film that you are in called The Anniversary Party. Oh my god! Why? I love that film uh, with with all my heart, and 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 I hadn't seen it in a number of years. How does it hold up? It holds up beautifully. Love. Well, first of all, I, it's such a smart film. It's such a great script. It's so beautifully shot. Again, talk about a, a cast of actors at the top of their game. Yeah. Talk about Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, she's magnificent. Magnificent. In this film. And you know, we were all Dennis O'Hare and I were in cabaret with her at that time. Right, yep. Right. And we'd all done it for six months together. And she have, and Alan, of course, and they became great friends. And she were like, she was like, Alan and I are writing a movie and we want you guys to be in it. And I think Dennis and I were both like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll believe that when I see it. And then suddenly you're on a set with Gwyneth and Kevin Klein and John C. <laughs> Riley and all those amazing people. Phoebe Cates Phoebe. and Mary Lynn Rice Cub. I mean, it just, it, uh, it's just a crazy cast. And Parker Posey. I mean, it literally oh. just, it goes on and on and on. Yeah. Um, I will say funnily enough, cause I think the film came out in what, 2000, 2001. Yeah. Um, yeah. The only thing is it looks very nineties. I remember thinking, Oh, it's so modern. But when you look back on it, it feels much more late nineties than oh, it does wow. early 2000. Oh, that's interesting. That's yeah, really it's, interesting. I, I, I'm, I, I would love to see it again. I hesitate to see that movie because there's a sequence where I'm I'm raging in charades and I'm supposed to be like the angriest man on the planet. And John C. Riley makes me laugh so hard that I actually think you can maybe see me turn my back to the camera because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm about to lose my shit. I'm about to start laughing. No, I, you, you I, seem I, very angry. You've, good, you've, good. You scared me off of charades forever. No thanks to John C. Riley, who's the most brilliant and funniest human being on the planet. Although that's a fun at-home game for us all right now. It to is. go and see if we can see you perhaps turn your back, trying not to laugh. I'm, you know, that's, we're all looking for things to do, so thanks for that oh, hot tip. Exactly. Thank you. Well, before we let you go, as I mentioned, we do have one final question, and that question is... What was that show or experience that made you want to be an actor, make you want to work in the theater? Hmm. Um, I loved, well, you know, I mean, like, like so many young people, I and mean, I was from a small, small-ish town in Texas, and, you know, and I was, uh, had a huge um, class in high school, and I was very popular in I was in a lot of different things. And a therapist later on said to me, I was like, why was I involved in so many things? And she said, I think it's because your, your MO was they can't hit a moving target. And, and I, I was like, oh, my God, you're absolutely right. I never st stood still because I didn't want to get caught in whatever that was that we all feel, whether it's being gay or being, just being a 16-year-old, you know, mm -hmm. and feeling so scared about what you're maybe going to turn into, whatever that might be. Um, and then I found, and then I went to the theater department and I was like, oh, I don't have to, I can stand perfectly still here. I'm home. This is exactly where I, I am supposed to be. Uh, and, but, but, you know, as, as far as work goes, um, I, 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 I think I have all roads lead back to the great Julie White for me. Um, the great actress who is, you know. Tony Award winner and my oldest friend. And she was at the same college I was in, in Texas. And I saw her give a performance. I didn't really know her. She was so amazing. And then she left uh, this college in Texas to come up to Fordham University. And the way people talked about her as an actor, as an artist, as uh, somebody with the courage to go to New York, I seriously, this is totally serious. I, I started thinking to myself, I want people to think of me the way they think of her. And so the next year I went to Fordham University. <laughs> I just came home at the Christmas break and I was like, mom, I want to transfer to New York City. And Fordham University is a, is a uh, you know, they don't charge out of state tuition. So if I work all summer, I can afford to help pay my way. And, and so basically I just stalked Julie White to New York 
And, and she's the reason I became a New Yorker and probably the reason I became an actor. <laughs> wow. Well, that, I mean, thank you, Julie White, for that. <laughs> um, wow. John Benjamin Hickey, Moving Target. Thank you so yeah, much for, exactly. for joining us today. Thank you for showering. We appreciate it. I'm so happy I did. I, as soon as I saw your, um, your graphic, you know, your, that is the mo- who did that design for you? That's the most beautiful <laughs> thing. I was like, I'm gonna get cleaned up for these people. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm very proud of. I'm very proud of that um, that image. Yeah, it's great. We did it with. Um, I did it with a graphic designer, and uh, she's really an artist um, uh, from Los Angeles named Liza Nelson, and she's brilliant. And we just, she just, I had this idea. She picked my brain, and that's what came out of it. And it was just. I'm so pleased with it. It's a good she's, brain. It's a she's good a genius. Brain. She's well, really a genius. Well done, um, well done, you. Thank you. Well, you have a lovely rest of the day, and thank you so much. Thank you guys, too. Stay well and safe and healthy, and I'll see you on Broadway. Rob here with You May Be Wondering. As we talked about, John is directing the first-ever Broadway revival of playwright Neil Simon's 1968 hit comedy, Plaza Suite. Neil Simon passed away in 2018 at the age of 91. Over the course of his singular career as a writer, he wrote more than 30 plays and musicals, in addition to just as many screenplays, including a mix of adaptations of his stage plays and original stories. After an early start as a TV comedy writer for Phil Silvers and Sid Caesar, alongside the likes of Mel Brooks, Woody Allen, Carl Reiner, and Joseph Stein, Neil Simon's work went on to define an era in the American theater, revolutionizing stage comedy with his focus on the fractious lives of contemporary urban characters and his talent for unspooling intimate family conflicts in poignant and humorous ways. Simon penned plays that were popular, by which I mean not just successful, but popular in the sense of pertaining to and appealing to the people. As distinct from the wealthy, upper-class characters of, say, a Noel Coward drawing room comedy, Simon's characters were more likely to resemble people you know, the common man or woman. And as such, his plays found tremendous commercial success because of their accessibility and relatability. According to Simon's New York Times obituary, from 1965 to 1980, his plays and musicals racked up more than 9,000 performances, a record not even remotely touched by any other playwright of his era. In 1966 alone, he had four Broadway shows running simultaneously. But behind that stunning success is a body of work brimming with craft, intelligence, wit, and heart. Of course, you likely know The Odd Couple, Barefoot in the Park, and The Sunshine Boys, early plays that have received numerous revivals over the years, and his semi-autobiographical trilogy from the 1980s, Brighton Beach Memoirs, Biloxi Blues, and Broadway Bound. Simon also wrote the books to the hit musicals Sweet Charity, Little Me, and Promises, Promises, and they're playing our song and the Goodbye Girl. And in 1991, he won the Tony Award and the Pulitzer Prize for his play Lost in Yonkers. As I mentioned, when Plaza Suite finally arrives at the Hudson Theater next season, it will mark the first ever Broadway revival of this 1968 play, and the first Neil Simon play on Broadway in over a decade. You may be wondering, what are some other Neil Simon plays that have yet to receive a revival on Broadway? Well, the list includes his first play, 1961's Come Blow Your Horn, a smash hit, along with The Star-Spangled Girl, Last of the Red Hot Lovers, The Gingerbread Lady, The Prisoner of Second Avenue, The Good Doctor, God's Favorite, California Suite, Chapter 2, which he regarded as his favorite play, I Ought to Be in Pictures, Fools, Rumors, Jake's Women, Laughter on the 23rd Floor, Proposals, The Dinner Party, and his last Broadway play, 2001's 45 Seconds from Broadway. In 1983, Neil Simon became the only living playwright ever to have a New York theater named in his honor, with the Alvin Theater on 52nd Street rechristened as the Neil Simon Theater. And for good reason. He was a giant of the theater who sustained Broadway with his prolific body of work, while both entertaining and enlightening the so-called masses. No playwright since has come close, or ever likely will, to making the impact Neil Simon made. To see for yourself, snag a ticket for Plaza Suite next season, and check out John Benjamin Hickey's latest work as a director.
Jennifer here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. At this difficult time, please consider making a donation to the Actors Fund at actorsfund.org. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Charles Van Kirk. Find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. And be sure to tune in next Wednesday. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Gapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.